So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Tom Critchlow. Tom is an independent strategy consultant, has a background in digital marketing, SEO and content marketing. He has worked with a lot of well-known clients, names including uh, New York Times, Etsy, Gartner, DoorDash. And he's also writing a book about independent consulting, which you can find online. It's excellent. You should really go and check it out. And uh, most recently launched a new course called the SEO MBA. So, Tom, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I've been a big fan of your work and your writing for quite some time. I've been following it. And as we were talking about possible directions for this conversation prior to this interview, there are lots of different ways we could go. But I thought we would start off with a, a statement, a thesis of yours, uh, which I thought sounded quite interesting. I'd love to unpack with you. And I'll, I'll just say it out here loud, which is basically that trying out ideas in public for or with small networks in a distinctive voice brings compound rewards for you. So, Tom, can you unpack that for us? What exactly do you mean by that, trying out ideas in public, small networks, and then a distinctive voice and compound rewards? Yeah, sure. So, um I think this is really grounded in the idea that, that blogging has changed my life. Uh, and, and that sounds like a, like a grand statement, but I think it's honestly true, which is, um, you know, growing up as a, as a digital kid, um, all the way from being in the SEO industry in the early days to now as an independent consultant, writing online in, in all the various forms uh, has, has done everything from get me jobs, meet friends, uh, you know, open opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, come on, podcast opportunities like this. Um, mm. uh, and it's all, it all stems from this idea of, of being somewhat public. But I think that a lot of people, when they think about blogging and writing online, they think of, you know, quote unquote, content marketing and some of these things. And people get lost, I think, trying to be too polished. They get they get this idea that you have to try and write for fast company or that you have to try and write this kind of like, um, you know, bold, bold vision statement or like a definitive guide to, to doing something. You have to be, um, you know, uh, magnificent, right, to, to kind of stand out online. But the scale of the internet is this really funny thing, right? Like the internet is huge and it's impossible to write amazing content that gets millions of eyeballs. But equally, it's actually really easy to write stuff that get seen by a small audience, right? And and small audiences are incredibly powerful. And so there's this idea that, you know, I, I want to encourage people to share their work, share their thinking and share their ideas and to focus more on, on doing it with a kind of distinctive voice. Yeah, and I'm, I'm curious, like, so you specifically mentioned how for you, your vehicle for that has been your, your blog. Do you think the medium is important? Do you think it could be, you know, could it be social media? Could it be Twitter? Does it really matter, or or do you think do you feel that there are some intrinsic advantages to using blogging as a medium? I'm curious about that. Or podcast. I, I think you can. Yeah, I think you can do it in all kinds of ways, like blogging, podcasting, um, posting comics online. You know, uh, uh, however you want. I think blogging has a a little bit of an intrinsic advantage just because it's kind of searchable and indexable, and you kind of build a a library of content. You know, posting to Twitter or posting to Instagram is a little bit less discoverable, I think. Um, but I certainly know folks who do it, like. Um, you know, there were those those kind of famous tweet threaders, right? Who like maintain these these huge archives of tweet threads, and they they reference them and link to them. And I think if you're playing that game, then that can be just as effective, um, even though you're 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 using Twitter um, as the kind of platform. So yeah, it can be any medium. And I think actually, I'd encourage people to 
try and operate in a medium that um, they can feel unblocked in, right? Yeah. Sometimes like writing comes very easily to me, but it doesn't come easily to everyone. Um, and so trying to focus on, you know, what is the medium where you feel comfortable? Some people like making presentations, then make presentations. Um, some people like doing visual stuff. So great, use Instagram, right? Like I think the the platform is... Um, it doesn't doesn't matter so much um, as much as what what I really want to focus on and what I'd encourage people to try and do is you know do this thing which is create something that's that's uniquely yours more so than trying to make something that looks like everyone else's stuff right I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to write things or produce things that look like what somebody else is doing and I think the value is almost always in finding your own voice right um, finding your own vibe uh, and trying to be distinctive um, you know my uh, I, I saw I just redesigned my website uh, yesterday <laughs> as it happens but um, up until yesterday my website my personal website was had this like bright neon green color which I don't think is a great design but it's distinctive right it's mine and I think that's kind of the kind of the point there yeah yeah it's yeah it's interesting you say that you know, something I was also thinking about is, is in terms of impact to me, you know, and I think about, you know, how many tweets have I, have I read that have really, you know, changed my way of thinking or do I really remember? Probably not that many. Even if I think of, you know, books, yeah, there are a couple of books here and there, but actually I would say it's probably more blog posts than just about any other medium where I can point to and say, this is something that's really influenced the way I think about things and is that is that is that one of the reasons why you decided or you chose to pursue i I feel like even with tweet threads there's only so much depth you can get to them whereas i feel like blog posts is again also like you say it's your it's kind of your it's your territory and you can design it the way you want you can make it look the way you want it to whereas with these other kind of rented platforms it's not so much the case yeah totally i think it's about you know i think a blog post is a great great kind of um unit of thought in a sense it's kind of like you can get a you can you can have an idea and you can let it breathe um in a blog post then again i mean what even is a blog post right um people people have different definitions and, and people go in all, all kinds of different directions but i think that idea of you can you can let the idea breathe you can write around it and you can give it enough depth to, to uh, communicate it um and you can make it look and feel distinctive right you can put your own images in there you can put in a site design that looks and feels your own um and you know again i i'm not necessarily advocating i'm not necessarily saying that you need to invest in like a custom site design or anything too fancy certainly when you're first getting started um it's more about just the way that you present the idea right even a, a bog standard wordpress install you can still put a custom image in you can still give it a custom title right you can write in a voice that's yours um you know i think that uh it, you know you read people like venkatesh rao or even like ben thompson um, from strategy and it, it's just words but they have a very very distinctive uh, a, a tone right and and they write in a style that's kind of uniquely theirs and i think that that's what you should be trying to emulate is trying to emulate what's what's yours rather than trying to emulate what's theirs yeah and so just on that point of you know finding that distinctive voice of yours what are some examples you can point to of ways people do it and is it a question of being completely original or is it a question of remixing ideas are there different sort of modes of kind of frameworks you can apply to finding that distinctive voice? Well, I think being original is a dangerous word because I think that that sounds really scary. Um, right? I, I think it's really about just just voice, right? Everyone has a voice. Everyone's voice is different. And I yeah. think it's really just about embracing that and not, tr- not trying to get rid of it. I think a lot of people spend time, certainly in writing, trying to trying to get rid of the kind of colloquialisms and the um, the kind of the uh, casual edge to the writing. But in doing so create something which is very generic and vanilla 
and 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 so it isn't about being original it's just about saying things with voice um and, and i think you know specifically for consultants right so it, it, you know i spend a lot of time thinking about independent consulting and writing you know for and with in, independent consultants and i think one of the the key key ideas here is that uh senior clients are often hiring you because of your voice right because of your opinion right so so uh, uh, aside from the kind of hard skill set that you have right and the experience that you have people want to build like a working relationship with the consultant and so voice and and vibe are, are actually really important things right this is not kind of like somehow uh like a nice to have this is actually the the, the whole the whole of it which is you know clients will come seek you out because they're like oh i like how that guy thinks um right and and because of that you need to be sh- you need to be exposing that voice to the world um and again that can happen in all kinds of ways it can be video podcasts you know et cetera, et cetera. but um i find that the blogging is kind of the uh the easiest and kind of like lowest lowest barrier to entry yeah uh, well, one one author that also comes to mind is well, actually two authors. I don't know if you've ever come across the book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and I, and I, I, the the author is named Daniel. I can't pronounce his second name, so I'm not even going to try. But he's um you know he's a Nobel Prize winner, and it, his work is amazing. I personally find his like books a little hard to digest myself. But there's another writer um, who started off originally with a blog, a chap called David McCraney. Uh, and the blog is called You Are Not So Smart. He basically takes a lot of those original ideas from Daniel and just re-explains them using different examples, describing them in much, uh, what I feel is, you know, much simpler terms uh, and in ways that are a lot more relatable. So that's, to me, you know, just kind of an example of like, you don't need to, uh, a lot of the time, you know, a lot of thoughts and ideas are not necessarily, you know, you're not going to be the first person in the world to have them, but it's just the way that you communicate them. Basically like your, your point of view and the way you communicate that as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. It comes back to that point that, you know, having original idea, original ideas is hard, but everyone has a voice. So we've spoken about, you know, trying out your ideas in public use, obviously you've, you've used blogging as a vehicle for that. And the medium, you know, is just really dependent on your own preferences and a lot of cases and we've talk, spoken about distinctive voices what about small networks i'm curious like can you tell us a little bit more about what you mean in terms of small networks yeah i think um again this comes back to the kind of scale problem with the internet you know i think that in many ways analytics was was the worst thing to happen to <laughs> the internet because yeah you can suddenly quantify and be like well this blog post only got 200 200 views right and then you're like wait but that's 200 people <laughs> like 200 people is a lot of people um right uh, hmm. uh you know if i'm if i'm on stage at a conference there might not be 200 people in the room now and obviously people's attention and intention is very different but um my point is that sometimes i've you know, i've written things that have had very very small audiences and led to transformative things right whether again whether it's friendships introductions building my network clients uh speaking engagements for for uh, conferences or podcasts um and that can come from a thing which which you know got a few hundred visitors or a few thousand visitors um and i think that uh the point of small networks is that you can still cultivate them you can do them with intention and um nobody needs millions of page views right unless you're really trying to monetize your content in a, in a very deliberate specific way I think uh, uh, most people would be better served getting rid of analytics um, and measuring things like how many email conversations did I have off the back of this blog post, or you know how many people did I send this to? Um, you know, I have uh, like a little bit of an audience, right? Like I have a bit of a Twitter following and an email list and so on and so forth. But every time I write a blog post, 
I still manually email it to a handful of people, right? And I'll, I'll be like, hey, you know, I know that we've had a conversation about this in the past and I thought this was relevant, just letting you know. Or, you know, hey, following up on that conversation you and I had a few months ago, I wrote up some thoughts, thought you might be interested or whatever it might be, right? Like, and this isn't like cold emailing necessarily to be like spamming people, but it's really just about, it's using the, uh, it's using the kind of the artifact, which is the blog post or the podcast or whatever it is that you're producing as the connective tissue to start a conversation with somebody rather than imagining that the blog post is the, is the thing right like like i'll write a blog post and like yes it stands on its own but it's it's the the um the introductions and it's the conversations it's the, the things that happen in the network because of the blog post which are which are which are important right and i think that what's what's interesting about blogging in you know 2021 is that for the most part, comments have gone away, right? So like even people who are like avid bloggers, for the most part, comment section tend to be like not very well maintained or, you know, comments aren't even there full stop. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of the discussion happens on Twitter and so on. But the, the problem with that is that you don't see this, you don't see those conversations happening, right? So you see somebody writing a blog post, you think the blog post is the important bit. You don't see all the conversations happening on the back end, right? So somebody sees me writing a blog post and they think, oh, I should do that. But I'm there. In, in sat in Gmail, <laughs> you're having these lengthy conversations with people that are in invisible, right? You have no idea that that's happening if you're just looking at the blog post. And so I think, again, it's about trying to um, trying to recognize that what we're after here is connection and dialogue and 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 uh, humans, right? It, we're not chasing abstract page views and analytics metrics. Um, and so I, again, I think people kind of get disheartened sometimes when they first start and they're like, "Why well, wrote this blog post and only 100 people saw it and nothing happened?" You're like, "Yeah, but." You haven't had any conversations off the back of it. You're not. You're not. You're not writing it. That's in a unique voice, so nobody's reacting to it. Like it's about. It's about. Um, it's about treating that as a as a vehicle to create serendipity and conversations more so than just having like a broadcast mechanism, right? To shout your blog post from the roof. I love that framing of, in in a sense, it's like a conversation starter, really, instead of you know a be all end all guide to something. You're what totally, you're yeah. Yeah, you're basically optimizing for that, like you say, that serendipity for those useful and interesting conversations. Yeah, and some of some of the most interesting blog posts that I've written have been where I've I've kind of started with a question. I'm kind of yeah. like, I actually don't know the answer to this question, but I'm just <laughs> going to put a few thoughts down and a few, you know, collect a few links together. And what's fascinating about that is it, it that kind of frame naturally acquires people who also have that question. <laughs> people yeah. kind of go crawling out of the woodwork to be like, oh my God. You have that question. I had that question too, right? I'm thinking about those things, right? Um, I've, I've done a, a, a written a few blog posts about like writing inside organizations. Like, how do you build a writing culture inside an organization? What is the power of writing inside organizations? How do how do people do blogging inside their companies and things like that? Um, and I still have a kind of you know some question marks about how do you actually build a writing culture inside an organization? Like, how do you actually uh, what are the best tools to use and so on? I haven't really figured out all the answers to those. But I've done, done some writing about it and and had some wonderful conversations with folks who are also like, oh, I'm trying to build a writing culture inside my organization. I have these questions too. Yeah. Um, so it isn't me being like, here's a definitive guide to how to build a writing culture uh, or like here are the 10 best tools. It's just me kind of thinking out loud and and that thinking and the, the question frame builds such great conversations off the back of it. Right. Um, and, I, and by the way, I'm not saying... If you if you have it in you if you if you're an expert and if you have it in you to write the is a definitive definitive guide to writing building a writing culture then great go for that right I'm not saying you shouldn't do that I'm just saying that you don't need to do that you don't need to go all the way to the definitive guide and the polished objects right you posting the thinking and the questions as you go is uh, is really valuable and that's kind of what I mean by these small networks right and thinking in public it's not about again it's not a broadcast mechanism as much as it is a thinking mechanism and a and a network 
mechanism. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really interested in like the the way that you make like as I follow you, where I've seen the way that you've been you've approached it from a very collaborative sense as well. So it's like you might have a Google Doc that you'll share with a select group of people, uh, and they'll come in and they'll make suggestions and they'll they'll riff on ideas. Or you'll also use you know something like Figma where you might throw down some screenshots and uh, and do like a little mind map. I'd love you for for you to maybe just like if you could just pick like one of those main pieces that you've written or one of the chapters that you've got in draft in your book and t- and kind of walk us through some of that timeline like how did how did the seeding of that idea start and then how did it go through that collaborative process? Yeah, totally. So specifically for the the book chapters that I'm writing on my website, so I'm, I'm mm. writing a book about independent consulting, and um, most of it is published on the on the blog already. Um, and this has been happening over the last like three years ish. And it didn't start out as a book project, right? So it started yeah. out as some some thinking in public, right? Some blog posts where I was like, "Hey, I've got some questions about independent consulting," and then eventually morphed into uh, what was going to be a book and morphed into like chapter like posts. Um, and each one of those now, like you said, kind of goes through this process of starts as a Google Doc. Uh, I'll jam out some ideas uh, and a kind of first draft, and I'll share it with the folks who are interested. Um, and I usually get you know I don't know five and ten people kind of coming into the Google Doc and leaving a bunch of comments and. That those interactions and those discussions are incredibly valuable, right? Uh, and, and sometimes the piece kind of like wildly changes off the back of that feedback. Um, you know, I think that one, one of the great things about one of the great things about writing a longer form piece is that it gives root, gives kind of surface area for people to catch on to things. So sometimes I think the point of this piece is a certain idea, and people will come in and be like, "No, no, no! This one little bit in the middle—that's mm-hmm. like that's the—that's <laughs> the goal. That's the real insight." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I can, I can kind of, I can, I can flip this piece around to kind of lead with that piece first, and then um, expand on it later." So, um, you know, I wrote a um, a series called "Yes and," which is kind of a, a, a chapter for the book, um, all about kind of like improv thinking um, and uh, what I call the kind of theater of work, right? So this idea that the performance of work is just as important as the work itself. And how do you, how do you act uh, on the kind of stage uh, of, of the office environment as an independent consultant in particular, right? So how do you, um, how do you come into a kind of a, a theater, a play that's kind of mid, mid scene um, as a consultant and, and enter stage left? And actually, how do you, how do you conduct yourself and, and how do you compose yourself um and it started out as a single post so i was like oh i've got an idea here and based on the kind of comments and the discussion that happened off the back of it, it ended up being five a uh, five-part series so i kind of really expanded it and, and went to town on it and really explored those ideas and um some of the later posts so the first post um it was about the theater of work some of the later posts actually referenced it, like books that i read because somebody had linked them in the comments of the first piece Right. So, so this is kind of like, there was this full kind of like, um, cycle of somebody was like, Oh, if you're interested in that, this idea, you should read this book. So I read the, went and read the book and that, and then kind of extracted some ideas for that for, you know, piece number two and three and so on. So, um, does that, and again, that's kind of, um, that, that process of kind of folding in of the audience. I think it, again, it isn't just my ideas that I'm broadcasting out. It's a, it's a real dialogue. Right. And, and, and again, uh, I, it's a big shame that the kind of comment section of the web doesn't really reflect that because when you go and read those chapters on my site, they seem quite finished, right? It's like you read them one, two, three, four, five, the pieces. Yes, some of them have comments at the bottom, but it's like you're kind of reading a finished piece. Whereas if you could be a part of those Google Doc discussions, right? The Google Doc objects are actually these kind of like rich, alive documents with hundreds of comments on sometimes. Um, and I would love a better way to translate that energy back into the web. 
I would, I would love a better, a, a kind of better platform or tool to kind of post stuff that captures and, and preserves that energy. Um, because I think it's, it's, um, it's really rich, but for me, um, like I say, I have this kind of one, two, one, two punch of like, there's a bunch of stuff that happens behind the scenes in a Google doc with a small group. Um, and by the way, those people that are leaving comments on the Google doc are naturally reading the work very, very closely. Right. So this is not just like people kind of like clicking on Twitter and scrolling. These are people who are like leaving, you know, line by line comments. And, and I love that interaction. And then it gets tidied up and polished and, and, and posted to the site. Um, so that's kind of the workflow that I follow. Um, and, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a kind of an audience of independent consultants who are invested in the stuff and, and people that really want to read the drafts and, and participate. But I think I think anyone, uh, anyone can find a small group of, of collaborators to get a Google Doc to, right? Like a draft to. Um, and, and I think it just changes the work, right? It makes it, it makes it richer. It makes it more nuanced as well as just making it better, right? Having another pair of eyes on a piece and editing, it always makes it better. But um, specifically, I think that idea of kind of riffing with your target audience uh, and folding them into the piece is, uh, is really powerful. I love that approach. It sounds a lot more fun as well than stowing yourself away and hibernating in the woods somewhere. Um, you know, well, right. Try- and, uh, yeah. I, I think this comes back to the idea of being original, right? Again, it isn't mm. always about being original. It's about trying to find your voice, right? Mm. Um, it's about trying to say something in a, in a distinctive way, more so than trying to say something that's never been said before. Yeah. If we could just like maybe backtrack a little bit. So we touched a little bit on basically infiltrating small networks. And you've written quite a bit around consultants' identities. One of the things that that came to mind for me is the fact that as independents, instead of being, you know, part of this large organization, A, you've got that somewhat contrarian approach that consultants have that you talk about, where you're you go into an organization, you're kind of the outsider. But also the fact that as independents, we're able to draw on the experience of not just, you know, in the micro level of a, of a larger organization, but you can do that across several organizations. So you tap into some benefits that people working in a traditional setting might not get. Is this something that you've noticed? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a that like one of the primary reasons that I think a lot of people get into independent consulting and freelancing and so on is because you uh, are seeing multiple different organizations and environments and markets scratches an itch, right? There's a kind of a, um, mm. you know, you value that that ability to kind of go, you float across different uh, different industries, different clients, different types of organizations, et cetera. Um, that really makes me come alive. I think there's a value in it that gets projected back to the clients, right? Because I, I can bring this experience to bear from other industries and other organizations. Sorry, that's my, my kid, my kid crying in the background. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so, so some of it is value that you bring to the client you work with. But a lot of it is also just value to yourself because you enjoy getting that view across different industries and so on. So um, I think it kind of goes both uh, both ways. Just thinking back to my de- my days consulting uh, for larger telcos, you know, some of my colleagues sometimes we were, we were brought into projects where we were basically doing execution work, and it wasn't the strategy work that so often is associated with consulting. You think to yourself, well, are we really doing consulting here, or is this? glorified spreadsheet work, basically. A lot of the time I was thinking to myself, why are we brought in if it was work that could have been done by other people? And I think a lot of it is just having that outside perspective, not being tied to the politics and the culture of an organization, to be able to give that perspective, be able to see you know, what works for different organizations, what other perspectives are helpful or fresher that can be applied to that situation. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's a, the, the consultant as outsider 
right? It's something I've written about a lot. Mm. Um, I, you know, I've written about this idea of the contrary consultant, right? The, the playing the fool character, walking into a client's organization, asking the questions that no one else can ask because you're like the you're like the fool um, in the in the royal court, you're right? able to to speak truth to power. Um, and then I think uh, uh, part of it is also like the ability to do, roll up your sleeves and do that spreadsheet work when when no one else wants to. And and the point is that often that the client needs the most valuable thing right in front of them, but their org structure, like their existing teams and processes aren't always set up to do the thing that actually needs doing. Right. And so there's, there's sometimes there's this kind of like um, big disconnect between the, the thing that just moves the project forward is a very kind of mundane or in the trenches, like it's an Excel thing or whatever, but there just isn't anyone able to do that inside the client's organization. No one actually has that responsibility or no one has that focus. And so just rolling up the sleeves and getting it done moves things forward in a meaningful way, um, even though it's relatively straightforward work or, you know, it's kind of in, in the trenches, um, that can still be hugely valuable because um, there's no one else to do it, right? Um, and and that's why consultants get brought in, which is um, to do the thing that, that needs doing, um, not necessarily to do the thing that, that ticks the boxes or, or meets the job title. Absolutely. Your your reference to the role as the fool in an organization, it makes me think of some situations where as consultants, sometimes we go in and do a double act where basically one person would play the fool and the other person would play the extremely smart person. So even though you wanted to both ask those questions where it might seem, oh, these are the foolish questions or the stupid questions, these are the things that we should know. In fact, you know, you're just trying to ask those things that Sometimes it just take a little bit more teasing to get out and that people, because of whatever kind of outside pressures, they're not willing to put themselves on the line and ask those more obvious questions. Yeah. And the, 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 the magic of the consultant is actually being able to play both of those roles, right? To be able to play both the expert and yeah. the fool um, yeah. in different situations is um, that that's a real skill that you can that you can kind of hone. And I, I find it incredibly powerful being able to switch back and forth between those two, depending on who I'm talking to or what situation is, um, is, uh, yeah, it's a real skill. Yeah. So, Tom, this has been a great conversation so far, and I, I know we could probably go for a long time here, but I am cognizant of time. So... What I'd love for you to just uh, let us finally know is, can you tell us a little bit more about where people can find your book? Obviously, it's you've told us that it's available publicly online, kind of some of the draft chapters. Uh, but if people want to know when it's when it finally comes out, uh, where's the best place to go? Yeah, um, everything's on uh, tomkrishow.com. That is the uh, the kind of hub for this. That's my blog and my book, and you know uh, has some of my strategy consulting stuff. Um, and yeah, hopefully the book is coming out early next year. Um, so you sign up for my, my newsletter. I'll be I'll be sure to tell you about it. Um, uh, or follow me on Twitter. That's also I'm pretty active there. Um, but uh, yeah, tomcrusher.com is kind of the the hub for my writing. So um, that's the best place to find the stuff. So awesome. Thanks so much, Tom. Cheers. Yeah. Th- uh, thanks again. Apologies for the kid crying in the background, but I really <laughs> enjoyed the conversation. No, it's all good. It adds more adds more character.